welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Welcome to do that as well. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 42 is where we are this morning. You can take your Bible and go ahead and turn there. I read uh, about 10 verses of that a second ago, not the whole story today. Um, so Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 42 is what we will consider together uh, this morning. Who is in charge? Who is in charge? Who has power? Who has authority? Now, usually we ask questions like this and we want to know the answer for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's because we're angry. Something is not to our liking. Something didn't go our way. And so we want to know who can make this right. Maybe you've experienced that before at a store or a restaurant or whatever it might be. And so you ask the question, who is in charge around here? Who has power? Who has authority? And sometimes we ask those questions because we want to know how to jockey for position, how to work our way up the ladder, essentially asking who is our competition? Who is in charge around here? Who has power around here? Maybe it's because we feel threatened and uh, we don't like that someone has a greater power than us or has something over us. And so we ask the question, who is in charge? Who has power? Who has authority? Maybe we start to question those people. Are they really in charge? Do they really have power? Do they really have Authority. Perhaps if you're a kid, you experience this, whether you know it or not, because you're asking the question with not your words, but with your actions. You push, push the limits in order to see the boundaries and the limits to know what you can get away with. Are mom and dad really in charge? Do they really have power? Do they really have authority? And so sometimes we do this in order to, to push our limits to see what we can get away with. And sometimes we ask that question, uh, positively speaking, because we want to celebrate the power. We want to celebrate the one who is in charge. We want to celebrate the one who has authority. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see, uh, if not uh, a theme, if not the thesis of the acts of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the apostles. Jesus told them, but told his followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what we've been seeing uh, throughout at least the first five chapters of Acts, we've been been seeing that. that The Holy Spirit has come upon the people of God. They have received power. And now this gospel message is spreading through ordinary people with extraordinary power. The gospel message is spreading through ordinary people with extraordinary power. A power that has come from above, a power that now dwells within the one who is in charge of all things. God himself now dwells in them by the, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so why do we keep talking about power as we go through the book of Acts? It's because Acts 1-8, you will receive power and they did receive that power. And the book is about this gospel, this, um, this Acts of the Apostles is a book about the spirit and power and witness of the new life that is being uh, experienced in the churches and spreading in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we get to a section like Acts chapter 5, we see that this power is displayed particularly here in the Apostles. And so... We're going to see some folks this morning asking a question. Who's in charge? 
who really has power, who really has authority, because when the power of the Holy Spirit is displayed, when the, when the power of God is displayed in the apostles, when the power of God is displayed in the church and displayed in people, it will call for a response. And so the looming question is, who has power? And there's even a question going on, as we'll see towards the end, through this, 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 uh, this Pharisee, uh, you'll see in Acts chapter 5, verses 34, named uh, Gamaliel. He still has this question, will this power go on? Will this movement last? Do they have the power to continue this movement? There's a lot of questions about power that are going on in Acts chapter 5. The first thing that I want you to draw attention to is we need to make a note about apostolic authority. Notice what it says in Acts chapter 5, verses 12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And it says they were all gathered in Solomon's portico and none of the rest dared to join them. And, and we read about people seeing the power of the Spirit and Peter and they, they're even hoping to fall in a shadow so that they might be healed. And they say, sure enough, that people are being healed. The sick, the lame, the unclean, those afflicted are all being healed. And the Bible makes this, this note here Luke does, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes this note here that these signs and wonders, this power that's being displayed, is being done by the hands of the apostles. So, so we want to make a note here. And point number one, this apostolic authority, that Jesus chose the twelve apostles for a unique and unrepeatable role in the history of redemption. Jesus says this throughout the Gospels, Acts chapter 6, verse 13, it says, when it was day, he called his disciples, and he chose from them, his disciples, the twelve, and he named them apostles. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says, truly I say to you, in, a new wor- in the new world, when the Son of Man shall sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That's what he says to his 12 apostles. We saw in Acts chapter 1 earlier on in this series that when one of the apostles, Judas, left them, that they needed to reestablish the 12. And so they elected another one to stand in Judas's place. In Revelation chapter 21, describing the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, John says that the foundations of the city were the 12 apostles. Ephesians chapter 2, similar to this, Paul speaks about the foundation of the church. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, You are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Listen to this. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Why do I tell you this? Because these particular signs and wonders that we see being performed in Acts chapter 4 are particularly being done through the hands of the apostles that have a special ministry as Jesus has as Jesus has ascended into heaven and as he's giving them these signs and and wonders to authenticate the gospel message that has power. And so we see that though we don't hold to apostolic succession, we see that these apostles, listen to this, had a particular role in a particular season of redemptive 
history. Our authority is now in in the scriptures. That is our testimony. That that is what we have now is a complete canon of scripture, the apostolic teaching. We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. So, so let me be clear on this. We see that this is a unique display of power, even things like them trying to find themselves the shadow of one like Peter. This is a unique display of power and authority with the apostles. But make no mistake, the same Spirit is at work among us this very hour. The same Spirit is dwelling in us this very hour. This same power. And so signs and wonders might not look like they did in Acts chapter 5 today, but the same Spirit is at work among us calling people to Himself. So we see that this is done, this, this is what I'm noting, by the hands of of the apostles, not undermining, but starting to make the connection that we can't tune out now. That was a power for them to experience, right? And so now we've noted that and we've moved on. Yes, in a way, but no, we still have that same power. Let's go on and keep reading. These signs and wonders were being done by the hands of the apostles. Follow along with me here. These signs and wonders were foretaste of heaven. They're signs. A sign doesn't point to the end, right? If you ever see a sign for a restaurant, you don't look at the sign and say, wow, I really feel full now. Have you done that before? The sign points to the food. The sign points to the reality. You've never said, read a sign coming back into, now, into town, New Orleans, 25 miles ahead, and stop there and say, praise God, I've seen the sign. No, that's pointing you to something greater. It's pointing the way. And, and that's what God's doing through the hands of the apostles. He's bearing witness to the power of their testimony through these signs and wonders. This sign is pointing to the reality. This sign is pointing to the testimony of, of Jesus. So, so, so here's what we want to understand. The relationship between the gospel and signs and wonders. Listen good. Signs and wonders are not the saving word of grace, one author says. They are God's secondary testimony to his word of grace. So primarily is what we'll see as we go through it is that they're preaching the gospel, preaching the good news. Signs and wonders do not save They are not the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is. Signs and wonders do not transform their heart any more than music or art or drama or magic shows. This is what this author says. What changes the heart and saves the soul is the self-authenticating glory of Christ, Christ seen in the gospel message. Even if signs and wonders can't save the soul, they can, if God pleases, shatter the shell of disinterest. They can shatter the shell of cynicism, and they can shatter the shell of false religion. And that's exactly what has happened through the hands of the apostles. Signs and wonders are authenticating the message of what they are preaching. And as the the religious and as others see their signs and wonders and see the power of the Spirit among them, one thing is impossible— And that is ignoring the Holy Spirit and the power that is among them. People respond 
to these signs and wonders that are authenticating the message of the gospel and what they are responding to, what really offends them that you will see is the message of the gospel that we are sinners in desperate need for salvation and Jesus died for sinners and the only way for sinners to be saved is by grace through faith in the work of Christ alone. So that's what's going on here. Signs and wonders through the hands of the apostles as they, as you will see, continue to preach the word. Let's go ahead and see, at, see the responses. First, you'll see the cautious. Maybe you saw it already. You'll see the cautious. Look at verse 13. None of the rest dare join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Do you see that? They see what's going on. They see the signs and wonders. They see the power. They see what these apostles are doing, and and, and they have this, this humility about them. They don't want to join them, perhaps because they know the, the holiness of God that's even seen earlier on in verse 5. They're hesitant to join, but they still hold them in high esteem. And more than ever, it says in verse 14, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the street. So they're still responding. They laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least the shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So, so, so notice something about this first response of the people, that they're hesitant to join. They didn't dare join them, but they still held them in high esteem. Perhaps they know the repercussions of following Jesus and becoming part of this movement. And counting the cost is good, and perhaps they're counting the cost of of following Christ and, and being indwelt with the Holy Spirit and what all this entails, and they're discovering it is a it is a worth that is like discovering a pearl in a field, and, and they're struggling. Should I follow Christ or should I not? Maybe that's where you are even this morning, that you're, you're cautious. You've seen the power of the Spirit in a family member's life. You've seen the power of the Spirit as people have come to, to faith in the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've seen that happen. You hold it in high esteem, but you're still kind of at arm's length a little bit. Perhaps this caution was simple humility. Because even in this, we see a desperation. Maybe if we can just fall into the shadow of Peter, as they see the power of the Spirit at work in their lives, is it a superstitious thing? It could be. But maybe it's like the woman had been sick for years, and remember what she said in desperation, if I could just touch the hem of his robe, surely he could save me. Surely he could make me well. Perhaps that's what's going on, that they have this humility, but it's a humble humility saying, I know that they will heal me. I know that this is my only hope of healing. Maybe they were coming to him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Perhaps in their desperation, perhaps in their caution, maybe it's a holy humility. And sure enough, it says that The Lord healed the sick, and the unclean spirits were cast out of them, and they were all healed. Maybe like these cautious folks, we need to realize that we are unclean, that we are sick, 
And what we need is a work of the Spirit in our lives that we're tired of being masters of our own fate. Maybe if we would come, ye sinners, poor and needy, the Lord would heal us even today. They were cautious. This power is being displayed. But there's more responses. Look at the jealous. So they see the signs and wonders. It's authenticating the message of the gospel. Look at verse 17. So we see the cautious. We see the jealous. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, of the party of the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. Um, They didn't believe in angels and things like that. And they were filled with jealousy, and they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. And so understand the response, that we must respond to the the power of God among us. Some were cautious, and now we see the high priests were jealous. The Sadducees were jealous. They wanted to to silence and destroy the apostles. They could not deny, just like the lame man that that walked in Acts chapter 3, they see other signs and other authentic, uh, authentic proof of the message of the gospel. And so they tried to publicly humiliate these apostles. And they put them in public prison. They don't put them away quietly. They put them away so that everyone can see that we are humiliating these guys. The apostles are publicly displaying the work of Jesus and the power of the gospel. And these religious folks want them gone because they are jealous. Why so jealous? Probably because they loved power. They loved authority. They loved being in charge. And when we find that in our own hearts, when you love these things, you are bound for a life of jealousy. And jealousy will wreak havoc on people, relationship, and churches. It will wreak havoc all through our lives. They were filled with jealousy rather than being filled with the Spirit of the living God. And they would rather go on like that rather than come to Him poor and needy in need of salvation. They were confident in Themselves. So we see the cautious, we see the jealous. These high priests were jealous, so they publicly tried to silence the apostles. And so how will they respond to the, this public humiliation? So you saw the cautious, you see the jealous. Now we're going to see a picture of the faithful. How do the faithful respond to this? Look at verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out, saying, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. That's what the signs and wonders were pointing to, the message. So keep preaching the message of life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So, so, so notice the response of the, uh, the, the apostles. Notice the response of the faithful. Notice the response of the Lord that the Lord never leaves his people. He delivers his people. He meets them in that prison cell and he sets them free by an angel, mind you. Can you think of what this must have done to the Sadducees? Remember I mentioned a second ago. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. And here an angel undeniably opens the prison doors and sets them free. That must have really irked them. The faithful go to prison, 
An angel frees them. This angel recommissions them and says, go back to the temple and keep speaking the words of life. And they go back to the temple and they began to teach. Notice the response of the faithful. They keep obeying. They remain faithful. And they remain faithful in preaching life. Because life was not ultimately found in the signs and wonders, but in the preaching of the gospel. So they keep preaching the gospel. They keep preaching, underline that in your Bible, this life. For power in life is in the name of the one who is preaching. This is not in the name of the one whom we are preaching. This is not a power grab for the apostles. They're not trying to make fun of the Sadducees. They're not trying to be the religious power of that day. This is not a power grab. They are simply preaching life. And so when it comes and we are empowered to serve others, the purpose is that we preach life. We preach life. Go and stand in the temple and preach all of these words of life. If God has delivered you and dwelled you with his Holy Spirit, we now have this wonderful ministry to preach reconciliation, that reconciliation is possible. And that we get to be bearers of the news of life. True life. Eternal life. A personal relationship with the ever-living God. It's a precious thing to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and get to preach life to a dying world. And so they obey. The faithful obey. And they continue to preach life. This garners another response The jealous, now you'll see, become offended. Now, keep reading with me in verse 21. And now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate and the people of Israel and sent them to prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and guards standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Verse 24. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard the words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And the captain and the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And now when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's Jesus blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers who raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And so the faithful respond. They go and keep preaching the word. And now the jealous have turned into the offended. They are offended, likely, by the method by which God delivered them, by the hands of an angel. For those who don't believe in angels, God delivers them by the angel. So now they look foolish. 
And so they're offended. They've been embarrassed. They've gone to look for these guys and they have been set free and they are doing the very thing they told them not to do. They told them to keep quiet, but they just can't be quiet. They are offended by the method and they are offended by the obedience of these apostles. They keep preaching the gospel and they are offended not only by the method of their release, but in the obedience of those who have been released, but they are offended by the message that they continue to preach. Do you notice what they charge them with? You are filling Jerusalem, you see that, with your teaching. Silence. But they keep preaching. This Jesus whom you crucified is resurrected. This one whom you put to death is resurrected. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who is empowering us as witnesses. And God has given the Holy Spirit to all of those who obey, who all of those who've responded to the gospel message. So this Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is empowering them to spread the good news of a resurrected Christ in all of Jerusalem, preaching the repentance and forgiveness of sins, and Jerusalem is now filled with the gospel message of a risen, triumphant, exalted Prince and Savior of the world. The one whom they tried to put to death is the one who is resurrected. There's a power struggle there, isn't there? You're preaching a resurrected Christ. And so they're offended that they've been set free, that they continue to obey, that they don't listen to the religious authorities of the day, and they continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to any and all who would hear, and they fill Jerusalem with their message. Wouldn't that be awesome to be said about us that we have filled River Ridge with the message of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. So the faithful respond, the religious are offended, and as you would imagine, it goes a step further, doesn't it? Look at verse 33. Those who were jealous are now offended. The offended are now outright enraged. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. If we can't silence their mouths, we'll silence their bodies. The ones who are out for blood, ironically, are the ones who Peter preaches have killed Jesus by hanging him on a tree. They are proving themselves wrong, for they are still out for blood after those who were filled with the Holy Spirit. They are offended, they are outright enraged, and they want blood. But there's another response. Do you see it? This Pharisee, Gamaliel, verse 34, kind of quiets them. He was a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people. He was the one that we'll see that Saul, who becomes the apostle Paul, was studying under. He gave orders to put the men outside for a little while, and he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be someone, and a number of them, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. 
After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of a census. Judas, we, we hear in history, was mad about taxes, didn't want to pay taxes, so he went against the census so that he might avoid uh, paying taxes in response to, to the Romans of the day. Some followed him, he too perished, and all who followed were scattered. And so in the present case, he goes on to say, I tell you, keep away from these men. So he's responding to this power. How do we respond? He's a kind of reasons through this is what he's doing, this kind of reasonable response. So he says, in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For it is the plan, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow him. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Notice a few things about this Pharisee's response. He says, remember these other insurrections. And they all fizzled out. So he has this question of powers this truly an eternal power, an everlasting power, because if it's not, this movement will fizzle out. This power will fizzle out just as it has in these other quote-unquote messiahs that have come along. So his response is, let's just watch and see what happens. But notice something about this response. Maybe there's some wisdom there, yeah. But perhaps this is a bit of you as well. You just don't want to deal with it. Let's just watch from afar. Let's not be cautious and then come humbly to. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Come humbly to the ones whom the Lord is authenticating through these signs and wonders. Let's kind of cautiously watch and just step back and see what's going to happen. It's still unbelief. It's not wanting to deal with it. Maybe that's where you are right now. I don't don't want to deal with this message because I know it demands my life. It demands my all. It demands everything. It's almost like Gamaliel is so secure in his power that he's not willing to change. He just wants to step back and watch and see whether or not this power will last, will amount to anything. And the faithful respond again. They were beat, charged not to speak the name of Jesus. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Hebrews tells us that they rejoiced for they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ and this world was not worthy of them. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer honor for the name. The name of life. The name of power the name of glory, the name above every other name. They knew where power came from. It came in the name of Jesus, and it was his name that they would not stop preaching, for in that name was life. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching 
that the Christ, that the true Messiah is Jesus. They keep, they kept preaching the name. I read this story about this Air Force pilot who talked about flying in formation. He said, for a number of reasons, most of our flying was done in formations of aircraft, 3, 6, 12, 18 in a group. The flight leader had to keep the airplanes in close formation in order to guide them through maneuvers. So we flew very close together for effectiveness and safety. He says formations cannot maneuver as easily as a single aircraft, and we would sometimes be in the clouds for short distances. The visibility would be almost zero, and sometimes one could not see any part of the next plane. There was an uneasy feeling when the clouds were full of airplanes with 14-foot propellers turning 1,800 revolutions per minute. He says, we trimmed the aircraft control surfaces to remain in formation with the lead plane, even with hands off the controls. We did this while we were in the clear. Then when we entered the clouds, the planes would remain in their relative positions for a really reasonably short time, even if we lost sight of the other plane in the clouds. The secret was to have the airplane on course and steady before entering the clouds. Then when visibility was lost, we kept everything just like it was. No climbing, no turning, no diving, no changes. Straight ahead, the undisciplined pilot was tempted to bolt, and that would have led to certain disaster. The safest course, go right on doing what you were doing. And so it is with the followers of Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit. When they go through trials and temptations and they're surrounded by the clouds and can't see the way out, they keep doing what they've been called to do by the power of the Spirit. Straight ahead, hands off the controls, keep preaching the gospel. So what? The gospel is spreading through ordinary people with extraordinary power. A power that is from above, that dwells in us. And the book of Acts is talking about this power that now indwells us. We may not see the signs and wonders, but we still preach the same message of life. And so we need to ask the question, you need to ask the question, who is in charge? Who is in charge of your life? How do you respond to the the call of the gospel that Christ is in control of your life? That he demands your all. He demands your everything. How do we respond to a broken world who is often in opposition of the gospel? Do we know that the gospel is the power of life? It's the power of God unto salvation. Do we know that we go as ordinary people with extraordinary power to preach the extraordinarily wonderful news that there is life in the name of Jesus so that we will tell the nations that life can be found in his name? Do we know that we go with power, following the one who is in charge, the one whose name is above every name? So what? Whose authority will you obey? Will you relinquish power? What part of your life are you still in charge of? 
that you see the power of God all around you on display in other people, and you're holding on to your very life, and you are either jealous or, or, or maybe you're enraged even, or, or maybe you are offended, or maybe you're like this Pharisee, Gamaliel, who, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of religious, but I'm, I'm holding back. I'm going to watch and see what happened, but I'm not going to submit to the message of Jesus Christ. Would you be like those who are sick and afflicted? If I could just get close, if I could just touch his robe, he would heal me. And would you hear the call of Christ, the one who is in charge, who has the power above all, whose name is above every name, who says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray.